We have a wonderful crowd tonight. I'm very happy to see the presence of every one of you. I know it took a special effort on your part to be here. I know it's easy once you get back home after the morning service to uh, take a nap or to relax and to not come back, especially when it's 100 degrees outside. But thank you for coming back tonight, and we hope that you will be able to come back each night of the meeting as well as encourage others to do the same. As you see on the board tonight, we're going to study the book of Acts chapter 2. There are bound to be topics that you have thought about you would like to talk with a friend or a family member, a neighbor, a work co-laborer, someone that you feel close to and you want them to know the truth, but you don't exactly know how to persuade them. You don't know necessarily what material to cover. Well, there's a lot of options when that's the case. I'm going to give you one that's real easy. One chapter. When you look at Acts 2, there'll be a couple of references that I'll make later on through the lesson, but I primarily am going to spend our time with Acts chapter 2. This chapter is such a wonderful, wonderful chapter. And we're going to break it down into 10 great points. I am very confident you can erase those 10 points and come up with 10 more points. This is a magnificent chapter. But as we look through these, this chapter, the point number one shows Acts 2. Well, right here are all the verses. Point number two, verses one through four. Point number three, verse five. Point number four, verse five to 13. And that is the outline as you see it on the board. This would be helpful to you to have uh, in your purse, in your wallet, in your Bible, whatever you do and wherever you keep good, valuable information that you can use to talk to other people with about the gospel. You know, I enjoy carrying my little Bible with me wherever I go, and I'm rarely very far away from my copy of the scriptures. And you may have one in your purse. I know a lot of school kids that are students in high school and college and all, you know, they keep a Bible with them. Usually a small one, maybe they can keep in their pocket, keep in their locker, keep handy in case they have a discussion that turns up. Whatever your discretion is on when to have it and what material to use is certainly up to you. Now there's a lot of other good information, but this information, it really will turn in to be a great chapter. That is where we begin right here. A great chapter. Acts chapter 2 is great. Now I don't have room on the board to write all the reasons of why. Why is Acts 2 a great chapter? I'm going to give you a few points that you might want to make reference to in your notes if you're choosing to take notes. It is a great chapter, Acts chapter 2, because this is the day, the very day, the church had its beginning. Acts chapter 2. So you look at Acts, the second chapter, and you can see as you began to read, great things are happening here. It is a great chapter also because it fulfills many, many Old Testament prophecies about the church. In Acts, the second chapter, you will see numerous 
Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. This is the great chapter because we're going to hear the very first gospel sermon that people had a chance to obey. Now, I used to say the first gospel sermon. That was wrong. It is the first gospel sermon that people had the opportunity to obey. Jesus, during his ministry, he preached the gospel of the kingdom on many occasions. They were not yet able to obey it. His law did not become binding until he died at Calvary. But this is the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. In this particular chapter, you have written a record of the first sermon preached that people had the chance to obey. We're going to see that developing as we go along through this chapter. Now, would you turn with me to Acts 2 verse 40? I want to show you that everything that happened this day, we don't have recorded. I wish the Bible were just a little bit thicker so we could have had all the Bible, all the sermon that he preached. Acts the second chapter, verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. I would love to know what all those other words were. I would love to know what else he wanted to tell them that we don't have any record of. But what we do have record of is recorded in the 47 verses of Acts chapter 2. And I want everyone to really get a handle on this chapter and really get a working knowledge right here. This right here will get people's attention that they need to reevaluate where they are spiritually. And they need to make the changes necessary to become a member of the church that was established by Jesus right here in Acts chapter 2. You know what we find? Let's begin in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like of the fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Indeed, it was a great day. Why did Acts 2, verse 1 through 4 say? It was the day of Pentecost. That's what you want to write down. It is the day of Pentecost. It was a great day. What day was it? The day of Pentecost. Now I want you to know something right here. We need to say more. I've preached many sermons through the years. And I said the church was established on the day of Pentecost. And that's true. But it's not enough information for people to take and really be usable. When was the church established? You may say Acts chapter 2. That's right. You might say on the day of Pentecost. That's right. But we need to say more than just the day of Pentecost. Here it is. The church was established in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. That is the first Pentecost after the resurrection. That's when the church was established. Do you know how many days of Pentecost there were before this? Who knows how many? 
many, many days of the Pentecost. But to be more clear and more precise, the church of our Lord, the content of Acts chapter 2, is the day of Pentecost, the first Pentecost after the resurrection. Now that is when the church began. That is what is so beautiful here. That is why this day, this day of Pentecost is uniquely greater than other days of Pentecost because this day was the day the church had its beginning. And this is so very important. And remember, remember to add and to remember the phrase or the word it like you want to. The first Pentecost after the resurrection. Then you very precisely and concisely told people what's happening and when it really took place. Okay, look at verse 5. The word said, And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. You know what? This is a great place. It was indeed a great place. Where were we here? The Bible said they were dwelling at Jerusalem. That's where we are. Listen now. Jerusalem is the place that the Lord's church had its beginning. And when you're speaking with your community contact and your friend and your neighbor and your family members and you're just reading and studying this for yourself for your own spiritual growth, you understand that you want to know what this great place is. It's Jerusalem. You find that rec recorded in verse 5. So we know today any church, or should I say religious organization, that started before Acts 2, it began too soon. Therefore, it's not the Lord's church. Any religious organization that began after Acts 2 began too late. It's not the Lord's church. The Lord's church started in Acts 2, the first Pentecost after the resurrection in the city of Jerusalem. Did you know this was taught by Jesus in the Great Commission? Now one night during this gospel meeting, I may preach a sermon on the Great Commission. But let me give you one verse of the Great Commission. Go with me, if you will, to Luke, the 24th chapter. Most times when people talk about the Great Commission, they will go to Matthew and Mark. And that's obviously fine. But Luke also records the Great Commission. In Luke 24 and verse 47, the Word of God says the following. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Please remember Luke 24 and verse 47. Jesus delivering the Great Commission. He told them where this was going to take place in the city of Jerusalem. He told them what was going to be preached. Repentance and remission of sins. This is very, very important here. Did you know Luke's account of the Great Commission in Luke 24 is the only account of the Great Commission that mentions repentance? 
Matthew and Mark, they had other great things, but Luke's the only one that mentioned repentance. They did not say the word baptism, but they told you what baptism was for, remission of sins. Repentance and remission of sins. Dear friends, we can learn so very much if we will allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. We can leave man-made ideas out of it. I'd like to study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see what one person may say the other did not say. And when you do a chronological study of the life of our Lord, a parallel of the Gospels, it is amazing what you will learn. One of my favorite studies through the years, congregational study, was done probably eight or nine years ago in the 21st Street in Oklahoma City. We did a chronological study of the Gospels. That is, event by event in the order in which it transpired. And it is very interesting to see how this was done. Of course, there's a time or two along the way that you had to say, well, probably this happened here. You know, there might be a couple of those. But by and large, when you let the Bible interpret the Bible, and you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can see a pretty clean, clear-cut chronological study. Well, that's what we find here. We find a great place happened here. And the Bible made it abundantly clear. And they're dwelling at Jerusalem. Therefore, please remember, the New Testament started where? In the city of Jerusalem. That's where it started. Many religious groups today began all over the world. But the only true church of our Lord began at Jerusalem. Now, let's look at verse point number four. We find here a great crowd. What in the world is this about? In verses 5 to 13, and I won't read them all, but it mentions 17 different nationalities. It mentioned even in verse 5, there are people there out of every nation under heaven. Can you imagine the attendance of that day? Well, I'll be very frank with you. I do not know how many people were there. But I do know that if you've got people there out of every nation under heaven, you've got 17 nationalities that were named, you had a great crowd, a magnificent crowd. An event that was happening this day that had never happened before. Prophecy were being fulfilled for the very first time regarding the New Testament church. And we today, we never want to lose sight of what transpired here. Yes, indeed, this great crowd. I enjoy at times studying these 17 different nationalities, these different nations that were present. But you know, that's what the Bible said would happen. I'm not going to read all this, but you go back to Joel, the second chapter, Old Testament, the book of Joel, chapter 2. You go to Daniel, chapter 2. You go to Isaiah, chapter 2. Now call it coincidence or call it providence. I don't know. But I tell you what, it's interesting. The church established in Acts chapter 2. But you go to Joel 2, Isaiah 2, Daniel 2, and you see prophecies about the church. And it prophesied about who all would be represented. People go there out of every nation under heaven. Wow. This is a big event. 
I do not know what the biggest event you've ever been to. But there have been some tremendous events across the land when they had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. You can even go to a sporting event and have over 100,000 people. It's amazing how many people you can have at a variety of type of, even a political event. But let me tell you what, no event was more important than this event. This event right here, we see the church of our Lord is established. This is the day it was established right here. Okay, now, verses 14 through 36. I want to put a little bit of asterisk right here. This is a great sermon. One thing we're prone to do today that Peter did not do, at least it's not recorded, is tell you the title of the sermon. So if you want to name it different than what I want to name it, that's fine. Name it what you want to. I'm going to call it Salvation from Sin. Peter preached to them how to be saved. Saved from their sins. So my preference, I like to call it Salvation from Sin. But the Bible does not state, Peter said, well, the title of my lesson today is whatever. This sermon began in verse 14. Please note with me. Verse 14, and Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, You men of Judea, all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be it known to you this day, and hearken to my words. And he took off. He began his sermon at verse 14, all the way down through verse 36. Wow. What a privilege for that crowd of people to have heard the first gospel sermon that was ever preached that they were going to have the opportunity to obey. That was a tremendous honor. They probably did not realize everybody there, the greatness of the honor they were now involved in. But here we find the first gospel sermon preached by the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. You see, this story is unfolding. It all goes together. We learn the day, we learn the place, we learn the crowd, we learn the sermon. It's all together. And this is what is so helpful in talking people and converting people, sharing the good news with people about this one little chapter, Acts chapter 2. But now let's look at another thought. One verse, verse 37 what we find here, Peter is preaching away at his sermon. And they seem to ask him a question. Maybe they've even interrupted him. You know, there's some scholarly difference on that, whether they interrupted him or whether he paused or what, but they ask him a great question. Oh, look at verse 37, and we'll see what that great question is. They asked upon him. They said, now when they heard this, they were printing their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You know what they wanted to know? They wanted to know, what must I do to be saved? What shall we do? Three times in the New Testament, this question was asked. It was asked right here in Acts 2 and verse 37. It was asked in Acts the ninth chapter and the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? 
It was asked again in Acts 16, verse 30, the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? My dear friends, please, every one of you understand, you need to know what you must do to be saved. And not only that, you need to know what you must do to stay saved. We've got to know that. We've got to know the answers to both of those. And when we know the answers to both of those, we'll become more effective personal worker. Because who we're talking to, if they're lost, they need to know what they must do to be saved. If they're out of duty of the church, they're out of fellowship, they're back into the world, the Bible says they've gone astray, they've erred, you can share with them what they must do to stay saved and how to come back. Oh, this sermon was such a powerful sermon. And whenever you have the opportunity, look over this sermon, verses 14 and 36. And these people were pricked in their heart. They were excited. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter had preached a sermon that convicted the people. They were convicted. You remember during his sermon he said, you delivered a murderer to be granted unto you. You denied the Son of God. You killed Jesus, your Savior. Oh, he preached his heart out. Peter, a man of many faults, he was the same man that denied the Lord three times in one night, you remember? That's recorded in Matthew 26. Peter's the one that Paul withstood to the face. Peter wasn't a perfect man, but tell you what, right now, he was a man of God and he was preaching his heart out. He was preaching to thousands of people there out of every nation under heaven. Where was he? Jerusalem. And he began and he preached his heart out. And these people said, what must we do? And you know what Peter gave them? He gave them a great answer. What I want out of every one of you, ladies and men, I want everyone to be equipped with the right answer to a question regarding salvation. I want you to be able to go to Acts, the second chapter. There are numerous of other places to go that are good and great. But Acts 2 is pretty awesome. You go to Acts the second chapter, you can hear a sermon if you read it. You can see the question asked, what must I do? And you see the question. Oh, let's read verse 38 to 40. Let's read the answer to that question. And verse 38 of Acts the second chapter, here's what the Bible says. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify to them, saying, Save yourself from the sun-toward generation. Just remember this. In verse 40, Peter put the ball into their court. He said, save yourself from the central generation. You do what's necessary for you to be saved. 
you respond to the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his answer he gave to them, he told them of two commands. He said, you need to, number one, you need to repent. You need to change your life, change your ways, change your mind. I may, before the week's over, preach a lesson on repentance. I get thinking of all these things I might preach, and the next thing I know, we're next week, next Sunday, and I'm out, and I don't have time. But I want to preach one night on repentance. Peter said, you repent, and you be baptized for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He gave them two commands. Repentance, baptism. He gave them two blessings. Remission of sins and gift of the Holy Ghost. And then he said, this shall be not only unto you, look at it now, with me at verse 39. He said, for this promise is unto you, it's unto your children, it is unto them that are far off, to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Guess who we are? We are to as many as the Lord our God shall call. That is our category. He said it's unto you the Jews. And to your children. To them afar off to the Gentiles. All of you. The same gospel applies to the Jew and the Gentile. Then he said to as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he had told them in the great commission. Go into all the world. Go to every nation. Go to every creature. And preach unto them. This great news. Oh friends listen. When is the last time you had the opportunity to share with them. Your friends, your neighbor, your community contact. The gospel needs of salvation. When's the last time you were able to take somebody to Acts 2 and 38 and show them right here is what you do to be saved? When's the last time you used Acts 2 38 or any of the other verses that teach the same truth about salvation? See, listen, I'll be honest with you. Now this may hurt a little bit, but it, it needs to be said. We are allowing time and opportunity to escape us that we do not seize the opportunity to talk to people about the gospel. We get too busy talking weather, politics, sports, you name it, anything but the gospel. When we as Christians, we should love the gospel so much, we can't help but say, how's your spiritual life? And people say, whoa, what? How is your spiritual life? Or do you believe in life after death? Life after death? I hadn't thought about that. Do you believe in it? Do you believe you're going to live after you die this earthly death? Oh, these kind of questions, they pierce people's heart and it really sets them back for a moment. But you have caused them spiritual evaluation. Dear friends, please keep your Bible handy. Keep your notes handy. Keep as much in your memory. Keep it on the tip of your tongue and teaching people what they must do to be saved. That's what these people right here ask. They said, what must we do? And Peter answered them, you need to repent and you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Oh, it is so magnificent when you look at here and you begin to see exactly what transpired. Now would you go with me to verse 41? Wow. Verse 41. It is amazing. The word of God says the following. 
Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wow. You know what? I've never preached the gospel in front of 3,000 people. Maybe over the radio or television, but not in person, not in a, my audience of people that I could see with my own eyes and I could, I could talk to them and shake their hand and hug their neck. I've never done that. I preached in front of 1,500 people. I did that at a funeral. We had a, when I lived in Dallas, Texas, we had three community teenagers that were killed in a tragic automobile accident. And they selected three preachers in town, and I managed to be one of those three. And they asked me if I would speak, if I would speak on salvation. I said, yeah, yes, I will. I was excited, not about their death, no, not a bit, but about sharing with 1,500 school kids about salvation. It was such a great honor. Oh, we all went to work and we put together some packets of salvation, little tracts and writings. And we were busy, but we only had a short period of time. And I was able to gather into the school auditorium. And they had two men who went before me. And I took with me several men who knew the gospel well and who was easy to share the good news. And we were ready as we were going to share the gospel plan of salvation. To 1,500 students. It was a great joy and a great opportunity. And my friends, listen. You can have opportunity. Not maybe like that. You might. As men, you might have something like that. But probably things like that only happen occasionally. But just be ready, whether one person or 1,000 people, to share the good news. The good news of salvation. When there's work done, they will see, you'll see benefit from that work. You'll see salvation from people. But you've got to work and got to work hard. You've got to work together as a team. I know I could get off on that and talk a lot, but I do want you to know this is a great chapter to really get us going. And when you look at Acts 2 and verse 41, it becomes abundantly clear because what it does, it shows us a tremendous response. About 3,000 people obeyed the gospel that day. While I've never preached in person in front of 3,000 people. Can you imagine baptizing 3,000? How many more thousand were there? As you go on and read in the book of Acts, you see where the church multiplied greatly. You can look at Acts 4 and there was 5,000. Now it's a little bit of a debate, a little bit of discussion, whether that 5,000 included the 3,000 of Acts 2 and it was only 2,000 more in addition to that 3 or if it was 5,000 additional ones. I don't know and it doesn't matter. It just shows the gospel was spreading. And that's what's important. You know what we find in Acts 2 and verse 42? We find a great worship was introduced. Look at Acts 2. I want to put a little asterisk here. This is very, very important. Acts 2 and verse 42. The word of God says the following. And they continued steadfastly 
and the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. In this one passage, four of the five items of worship are mentioned. I love the part it said, and they continued. This wasn't a one-time, one-day event. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the teaching, and fellowship, which is the contribution, and breaking of bread, which is the communion, and in prayers. And you say, wait, what about singing? I love the singing. That's fine. Hebrew 2 and 12 said in the midst of the church, will I sing praises unto thee? Hebrew 2 and verse 12. And you know there, when the communion was introduced by Jesus, they sang a hymn and departed. The singing's involved. You know, for you that are my age and older, and some of you may say, that's not very many, but that really is. There used to be a, a great discussion about order of worship. And that phrase, order of worship, to your younger ones, you may say, what? What's that? Well, what that is, is Acts 2, verse 42. Some to the position, even within my own family, my wife's family, that you had to worship in that precise order. Meaning, you got to have, you know, the teaching, the contribution, the communion, and then the prayers. You had to do it in the same order. And I'm not going to get off on that topic, but that's where it came from. Acts 2, verse 42. I've got tracts that men wrote trying to prove that precise order. I spoke with my wife's grandparents who for many, many years they practiced this order of worship out of conviction. There is no precise order of worship. I want you to know that. And the way we know that is the order is different in different places of the New Testament. That's just briefly, but that's true. When there's other times that the order was given, it was given differently. And if there was one precise order, it had been given the same way every time. But in Acts 2.42, what we find is a great worship. You know, I hope today that in your spiritual maturity, that you are eager to grow and grow fervently and grow day by day. And you look forward to worship. It's not, oh, we got to go to church tonight. Probably at one time or another, every one of us have said that, or something to that effect. But as we grow in spirituality and we become more mature, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God, we, we get to go to church tonight. We get to study this particular chapter. We get to hear this particular preacher. We get to study this particular passage. It's wonderful. I hope you enjoy worship. But one thing you have to understand about worship, worship is God designed and not man designed. In John 4 and verse 23, it says God seeks his true worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. And then in verse 24 of John 4, he said God is the spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's John 4 verse 23 and 24. Worship is so valuable and so important. And it's God's plan. He had people worshiping years and years ago before this sermon got there in different ways. 
For today, our worship service is very important. And you cannot go running off on vacation or somewhere, some luxury trip, and just say, I'm just not going to do this today. No, it's every first day of the week you gather and worship scripturally with those of like precious faith. Some people get too lax on that, and we can't afford to do that. Let me tell you what, when people did not observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, they paid a price, a huge price. And we're going to pay a price if we don't worship as God wants us to. Well, the tenth point that I'm going to mention is found in verses 43 through 47. And what we're going to find is a great beginning. Wow, what a beginning this really is. This is the beginning of the church, everybody. The church is now beginning. Would you turn your Bible with me to Acts 2? We began in verse 43. The Bible says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and their goods, and they parted them, every man, as he had need. In verse 46, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord added to the church. Wow. The church. Now that's King James Version. Some other versions use a different word. This is the ecclesia, the church. The church had its beginning in the year A.D. 33. When this gathering of thousands of people were there and the first gospel sermon and the people responded, about 3,000 people were baptized. And they continued to worship because the church was had its beginning. And my friends, when you grab a hold of Acts 2 and the book of Acts and you start reading, it's got 28 chapters. You're going to see Paul making missionary journey number one, number two, and number three. You can see congregations established here, there, and over there. You can see great men, many people multiplying greatly because they're saved, because they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're now children of God. Well, this is magnificent. It is so very important. I ask of you today, will you please get a renewed zeal and interest and joy of your salvation? I'm so afraid, and I want to be very candid with you. You know I love you, and you know I care for you, but I'm afraid people have lost the joy of their salvation. How many times have you said, hey, did you see my new car? I got a new car. And you take people out and you go show them the new car. You know why? You're joyful. You got a new vehicle. Or you talk about your new job or your acceptance to school or your grades or your GPA. I mean, whatever. Your certificate of completion, your graduation, whatever it is. I mean, you put on Facebook all the happy things that happened in your life. I want you to have that kind of joy of your salvation. Because we're members of the family of God. We're privileged to be able to call him our father. 
His Son, our Savior. Oh, there's so much more in Acts chapter 2. I look forward to and I pray today that we could have a very successful gospel meeting. We could cover a lot of variety of material that would be given wisdom that would help us to know what is best to teach. We want you to grow during this week and then continue to grow. But we pray to God for all of you. And I'll ask you to pray for me. Because we're in the first day of this meeting here at Plans Road in Bakersfield, California. So go out and talk to your friends and your neighbor. They've got a stack of invitations in the back. They've got little cards in the back you can take and give to people. We just ask you, please do your part. And I promise you, I'll do the very best I can from night to night. To preach unto you the words of the Lord. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.